It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is David Collum, Chief Executive Officer at the Pocket Testament League. David has a passion to see people meet Jesus and get to know God. Why? Because for years, he was one of those guys who tried to follow all the rules, do everything right, and even had some success. But in the end, his focus on being right led him to actually behave as if he was always right. He was not so much fun to be around, and God in his mercy let things fall apart and then met him in his brokenness. He's been fortunate to work in corporate America with his last position leading an organization that cared for the nuclear power plants of our nation's fleet of nuclear submarines. He had the privilege of working with the church as a full-time pastor for 12 years. And today, as Chief Executive Officer of the Pocket Testament League, he gets to lead this global movement of Christ followers who are sharing Jesus in his own words. David Collum, welcome into the corner office. Hey, it's great to be here, Brent. Thanks for having me. Oh, wonderful to have you. And gosh, we're just a little over three months into this uh, COVID crisis. This uh, podcast, of course, will release a little later than that. But how have you been holding up? I, I know that it, we'll talk a minute about how your business has been booming. Uh, one of those things that we certainly would deem as essential, particularly in our faith walk. But uh, tell me a little bit about how you and your family and, and your colleagues are doing at uh, the Pocket Testament League. Well, thanks for that question. Yes. Yeah, so first of all, uh, myself and my family, and in fact, uh, our, our team, we're a pretty small team, uh, folks are healthy. So uh, I certainly have friends, I imagine you do, who are yes. been directly affected by this. So we've, uh, by God's uh, grace, been 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 doing well so that's that that's uh that's good um we certainly miss family my uh my kids live uh, up in the boston area i'm in new york so lots of zoom calls watching uh, my gra- <laughs> watching my granddaughter grow before my oh, eyes so right, yeah but all right. in all compared to what lots of people are facing we're doing really well that's awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear about that. And we'll get into the wonderful work you're doing at the Pocket Testament League a little later in the podcast. But we'd like to start in your early years and you know, hear a little bit about where you grew up and you know, what your early family life was like. Tell us about your parents, brothers and sisters, and you know, some of the things that happened in your youth. Sure. So, so I'm a native New Yorker, uh, uh, and, and I've lived in New York my entire life, uh, never in the city. So I grew up on the what we call the east end of Long Island. Uh, it's uh, in a town called Southampton. Hmm. Uh, my my dad uh, owned his own business. He was a guy who made signs, letter trucks, you know, oh. outdoor outdoor advert, all sorts of advertising. So, um, and so I knew what it's like to grow up in a house where 
you're with you're with an entrepreneur, somebody right. who was who was driving hard. Um, and I grew up on the ocean and on the bay, so the water the water was just a huge part of my life. Uh, Brothers young, and sisters, or yep, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. I've got um, the youngest of four. I've got two older sisters and an older brother. Right. So right. yeah, a lot of sailing, a lot of beach time, I suppose. A lot of beach time, and yeah. my dad was an avid fisherman. So, ah, so ask ask him to reel in the fishing line so we could go water skiing was always a, <laughs> was always a, a sacrifice in his part, but he would do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. And mom worked in the home raising the kids, or was she also involved in the business? So yeah, she she was ostensibly uh, worked in the home and raised us, but um, you know, family business. So she did the books, and I can remember hmm. you know all these little lessons that you have. I remember yeah. the, we had the same extension. This is back in the day before you had mobile phones, right? The business number and the house number was phone number was the same. I remember wow. I remember telling my dad, Dad, why do you always answer the phone? You know, Saturday at nine o'clock at night or something, and he'd say, David, because you never know when it's going to stop ringing. That's right. Right. He yeah, grew up through the so depression. True. So, yeah. you know, he was, he was always driving hard. Yeah. yeah. For, yeah. And appreciative of business. That's yeah. Awesome. So she kept, and she was, she kept the books. She was the accountant and kind of a classic small family business model. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Well, David, you and I met through the C12 group. And for those of you that are listening, don't know about C12. It's a peer advisory group of Christian business owners globally. I think we're breaching 2,700 members, if I'm not mistaken. I think we got over a hundred chapters. Wonderful organization. I've been involved. I think I'm going into my fourth year. And David, I think you've been involved at least that long. And you're a member of the New Jersey group, and I'm up here in Connecticut. And uh, we met recently, actually, through Zoom calls, right? Because uh, one of the things that has been an advantage uh, during these COVIDian times is we've been able to connect broadly and more frequently with a lot of folks and in our traditions. But tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, first, uh, you know, growing up, or was it a Christian family? Was there faith in the home? And, you know, what led you uh, initially? Initially or, or ultimately to joining C12. Yeah, well, th- yeah, thanks for letting me tell this story. So so I grew up in a, in a home that was centered around the church. I, I grew up in a Roman Catholic home. So mm. I went to a Roman Catholic parochial school. I was an altar server. Mm. Um, so so the church was uh, a big part of, of who we were. Um, but I didn't meet Jesus until I was 30. So mm. that's, a, you know, it's just, yeah, it was, yeah. It's, it was amazing. Um, and so I... Went to college, and you know, I was one of those guys that went to church on Sunday in college. I can remember being really angry when I was when I came to know Christ at thirty. I went and saw my Roman Catholic <laughs> priest and said, "Why is it I did not know this?" And you know, wow. I was uh, so. Um, but yeah, I went through a personal crisis. Uh, was w- having great success in the corporate world, uh, but no peace at home. Mm. And uh, I knew my life was falling apart. And I turned to an employee. Uh, at that point, I was managing a nuclear power plant. I turned to wow. one, of my, one of my managers, um, and I said, he was the same age as I was. Hmm. He had two sons. I have two sons. They're the exact same age. Wow. And I turned to him, and I was like, how do you do this, man? And he, he said, how do you do what? I was like, how do you manage all the stress, all the demands that we have, right? Because he works in the same place I do. Sure. In fact, he had a boss who was kind of a jerk, me. Um, <laughs> so, and the guy, the guy always knocked it out of the park. He was excellent wow. at his job. He managed, wow. he managed the entire training program, uh, mm. did a great job, and he was unrattled. He had peace. So I said, how do you, I said, that's what I want. I want to have the peace that you have. He goes, oh, that. And then he looked at me and he, <laughs> he goes, he goes, do you really want to know? And uh, really? I was like, I was, and I'm in an airport and I'm in, a, I'm in the Pittsburgh airport with him. We're stuck for weather. And uh mm. And I said, yeah, I want to know. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, I don't think you do. 
And Whoa. So, so <laughs> talk about the tease. <laughs> well, see, that's the, see, you're a sales guy. So you think, exactly. you think, you think he's raising the buying temperatures. Like John was a mechanical engineer from Alfred University. There was not a sales uh, bone in his body. He was, he was counting the cost because he knew yeah. that, you know, I, he, he kind of knew who I was Monday mm-hmm. through Saturday. Mm-hmm. He, he knew I went to church on Sunday. He also knew I, I would run over people in the parking lot if they were not. <laughs> You know, as you, as you leave church on Sundays, like, could you please get out of the way? Cause yeah. I want to go watch my football game. You oh know? my gosh. So that kind of a, that kind of a guy. And he had to tell me I didn't have a clue. And he introduced mm. me to Jesus that night. Um, wow. And that was the beginning of my, my, my journey. And so you fast forward all the way. That's when I'm 30. You, you fast forward almost 30 years later, almost three decades later. Yeah. And I find these businesses, ministry groups, I find C12, I find Convene, I find Truth at Work. Mm. I'm like, who are these people? And then it yeah. dawns on me, I was like, okay, I did not turn to, you know, my, my priest, great guy, didn't turn to him when I was in crisis. I turned to somebody in the workplace who was what? Who was excellent at their mm-hmm. job and yeah. their life. Yeah, had because, balance. Yeah. yeah, that person had credibility. I was like, okay, yeah. I want what they want. So I love... The idea of, of C12, uh, I love the idea of uh, really, because it, because I'm a product of this. Right, the, right, the, yeah. The, the power, you found it in the workplace, which yeah, is pretty awesome. Yeah, the, yeah. Power, the powerful witness that people, you know, they're struggling with their own lives, trying to work it out, but following yeah. the Lord, the powerful witness they have. So yeah, that's how- That is um, so cool. Thank you for sharing yeah, that. No, yeah. it's, it's a great journey. And I want to take a couple of steps back because, you know, leading up to that, but wow, what a testimony, you know, for C12 and other organizations that really do talk and make examples of work, you know, faith in the workplace. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'll tell you, I was the same. I was a closet Christian for many, many years. You know, it really kept that separation of church and state seriously and business. And uh, much to my chagrin, you know, I, you don't have any regrets looking back, but you know, this podcast has really been a ministry for me too. And I hope that whoever's listening, you know, can hear that story and say, you know, take a look at those folks that are, you're working around you and those that may have peace that you don't and ask the question, David, that's a, that's a wonderful story. But rewinding a little bit back where you, where you, you know, you said you grew up in parochial schools, the Jesuits are known for obviously a great education. Were you a good student there or did you find that challenging? Yeah, so I went up through eighth grade. Um, uh-huh. I was I was a good student, and then kind of went into the into, into the public school system for high school, right. uh, just because of the which schools were available and, and whatnot. So yeah, I I generally was a good student. Uh, I played um, football and uh, ran track one year and wrestled one year, uh, nice. and also did. I was a, a scout my entire life, a boy scout. Okay. So you know, so I'm an. Did Eagles. you make it to Eagle? I'm an Eagle Scout. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Oh, once an Eagle Scout, always an Eagle Scout. <laughs> Absolutely. There's three things in life you always are. You're always an Eagle Scout, you're yep. always a Marine, and you're always a Rocket. I, <laughs> I, have, I, I have rarely met... Strange bedfellows. <laughs> I have rarely met somebody who meets all three of those criteria. But. I love it. I love it. That's great. So a little bit of sports outside of school. What about entrepreneurial things? Did you did you do any of that growing up? Was there you know stuff on the weekends that you earned the extra spending money and so forth or you know save towards college? Yeah. So probably two stories there. So first of all, uh, the East end of Long Island, uh, especially when I was growing up was basically a, a summer destination. Right. So well, you, the Hamptons are famous, yeah, of course, yeah. globally. And, right? and so if you're out there, you make your money between Memorial day and labor day, you got, a, <laughs> you got a hundred days to do it. And so, right. um, and so now that's changed a little bit with transportation, but so I, I would find old bicycles 
and I would repair them and I'd put them in front of my house and I'd rent them for $5 a day oh or gosh. something. Oh, and because people great. would pedal or pedal. You know, I lived a half mile from the ocean. So people would, would pedal. The village was very close to the ocean. And so I rented yeah. these bikes and fixed them up. And that was my little entrepreneurial business. It actually, uh, the guy who ran the local bike shop actually realized that I actually knew, taught myself how to fix bikes. So he hired me. So I did that <laughs> part time. And then I, I uh, so I did that part time. And then I, oh, I, um, I actually started, uh, in addition to his business, he also had a second business, which was, he always had something else going on. He had right. a, a laundromat. Oh. And so uh, before, you know, you're allowed to work at age 11, I started working. I remember my parents, hmm. my parents sent me on vacation when I was 13 years old. They sent me on vacation because they figured I was working too much. Now, my wife laughs hysterically about that. She goes, that certainly explains a lot about you, David. Uh, so, <laughs> so then your parents have to like send you away to stop working. Because uh, she she just asked me this morning. She goes, do you think you could take a couple of days off? I was like, uh, yeah, I guess I could think about that. <laughs> yeah, maybe but, uh, July or August. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. My, 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 my C12 chair, who's going to be listening to this, I'm sure I'll get feedback right, on it. But anyway, right. yeah. So, I, uh, so we did entrepreneurial things, but, but worked um, my... Uh, Worked through uh, high school. High school. Worked at the same. Uh, in addition to doing the bikes, I also worked for the same hardware store for mm. six years. And I can okay. remember two great stories. I remember I was a stock boy, right? So you 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 put out all the stuff on display and you have all the boxes. So you put all the boxes back together, which are right. empty, right. and you carry them up into the attic, which is a huge flight of stairs. And of course, the right. boxes are empty. So I would go through this elaborate stacking process of smallest to biggest to smallest, I'd have like a, a stack that was six feet high <laughs> and it weighed, you know, two pounds or something. It was just empty cardboard. And I would carry it up the stairs. I remember Sam Herrick looking at me saying, David, a lazy man's load is never an easy one. <laughs> and I would make it, I would make it about 80% of the way up those stairs before the boxes would all start falling down. Oh my all over gosh. Me. And he'd just oh look gosh. at, he'd just look at me, he goes, I'm not saying it twice, son. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you got to get that message. So yeah, and then it. and then I remember one time again. I was really really young, and uh, I'm helping some people because the store's crazy busy, and I'm helping this guy buy a hedge trimmer. And uh, I was kind of a rude customer. And hmm. the the boss walks by, and this guy stops, interrupts me, grabs the boss, he goes, "You're the boss," and and uh, basically asks the guy, he goes, "Look, I'm talking to this young kid who doesn't know anything about hedge trimmers. So um, which hedge trimmer should I buy?" And the guy looks at me, he goes. That kid knows more about hedge trimmers than I do. You should buy the one he recommends. And, wa and, <laughs> and walk it. and walks away. It and walks away. And this and is I, the owner. This or is your the owner. This oh, is the I owner. This it. is the owner. And oh, I, I got to tell you, I thought to myself, that that's look, look, I'm 60 some odd years old, still stuck with me. And I remember a moment. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, when you're leading people. Yeah. Right. That's just a, that's just a great lesson. That's right. Great that's lesson. Great. Did the guy buy people? the hedge trimmer you recommended? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> he would have been a fool not to. Yeah. I love it. Well, what did you squirrel your money away for? Were there certain vices you had during those years? Uh, was it kind of a foregone conclusion? You go to college and need to save for that, you know, eventuality or? Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I grew up in the days when you could act, you know, certificate of deposit, a CD actually had an interest rate attached right. to it. Right. Yeah. So yeah. my, my 10% or eight, eight to 10%. Yeah. Those days, so, right? so my goal was, you know, my freshman year in high school, my goal was to earn enough money, put a CD away. At the end of that summer, so it would mature when I was a freshman in college and do that for four years. And so my goal was to make sure that I had spending money nice. uh, when I was in college. Yeah. Um, and did older brothers and sisters go to college? Was that kind of uh, expected of you growing up? 
So it was my parents' great dreams. So yeah, I'm one right. of four. And so, uh, again, my, my father being the kind of business guy that he is, he would buy a piece of property for each kid. Hmm. At the east end of Long Island in the 1950s, that's a smart that thing to do. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. So, and he would, you know, when we'd go to college, he'd want to sell that. And so out of the four of us, uh, we all, all four of us started college and two of us finished it. Uh, the other two got pretty close. Um I went to the United States Merchant Marine Academy, yeah, which I is one of yeah, one yeah. of five federal academies, right? So, um, so f the U.S. government uh, paid for my education, but uh, now was yeah, that a that, choice because of your love of water and so forth, or what was the um, the motivation behind going to the Merchant Marine? Yeah, so I, I applied to both the Naval Academy and the Merchant Marine Academy. was was accepted, uh, got nominations to both, and I have two brother in laws that mm -hmm, are, mm -hmm. are are Annapolis grads. And um, really was inspired by those uh, folks, mm. very much drawn to um, just that kind of an organizational structure. Right, uh, right. Really, really wanted to do that. And the, and the Merchant Marine Academy, I can remember one of my brother-in-laws calling me up and saying, so you want to be a four-star admiral and do this for 40 years? And I go, uh, <laughs> I'm 18. I'm not quite sure. He goes, <laughs> that's a possibility. <laughs> he said, he said, look. Because he said, unless you really know you want to do that, yeah. if you want to do that, definitely go to Annapolis. It makes a big, big difference. But if you're not quite sure, you know, when you graduate from Merchant Marine Academy, you can go active duty Navy, active mm. duty Marines, Coast Guard, um, or Reserve. So, yeah. um, so you know, some advice and counsel from a guy who was yeah. who was an officer in the Navy and had gone through Annapolis and and whatnot. So yeah. So what did you do straight out of the Merchant Marine? I went and worked for the company that uh, for 25 years, it was called the Knowles Atomic Power Laboratory. Parent company was General Electric for about for about half of that time, then, okay. Lock, then Lockheed Martin. But right. basically, uh, the, the lab uh, designs nuclear reactors and, and, and power plant systems uh, for our nation's uh, aircraft carriers and submarines, wow. and then trains the sailors that operate them. So yeah. Wow. Called a prime contractor in government language, we're a prime contractor, and they would two things kind of two or three things happened. Uh, so first of all, I got married right uh, out of uh, when I graduated from college. Pretty right. typical thing. And uh, when you go to the Merchant Marine Academy, you actually sail. So I've spent a year at sea. You spend mm. six months sophomore year and six months junior at sea. You and one other one other kid basically on a merchant ship. Wow. Um, and so. Where did you go? What part of the what part of the world? Oh gosh, I went to uh, went to Leningrad when it was Leningrad in nineteen seventy eight. So I went did a North Atlantic run up to Leningrad. I did a West Coast of South America all the way down to Chile, hmm. and then I did South Africa and East Africa. Three different voyages. Fantastic! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was uh, amazing learning experience, all on different ships. And the old adage, the attitude of the captain uh, is, is the attitude of the ship. Is so true. It yeah. was amazing. Yeah. Three different yeah. ships, three different captains, three different three different cultures. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. So, did you have leadership responsibilities during that time, or, or were you just, you know, basically a uh, a deckhand, so to speak? So, <laughs> so when you're at, when you're at sea, you know, yeah. you're the you're the you're the midshipman or the cadet, which means you are the low man of the you're total the low pole. man, right? Right, uh, right. When you're back at the academy, you know, you have different responsibilities, and they have an entire. Uh, uh, leadership structure. So yeah. had different roles when I was at the, uh, at the academy, uh, in terms of leadership training. 
Yeah. And then your first employer, I assume they recruited straight out of the Merchant Marine Academy, right? That was probably a, a prime hunting ground for them. Did they actually place you there or were there you know, choices of different opportunities? What, what made you decide to go in that direction? Yeah, they placed us there very specifically because uh, really interesting contracting strategies. So the government contracted with, at that time, General Electric to run this laboratory okay. and to train Navy sailors. So picture this right. crew. There's three civilians. There's one officer. And then there's like 40 to 50 enlisted men who right. are nuclear trained, experienced back from sea. And a couple hundred people that are 19 years old that you're trained to operate mm. nuclear reactors. And they structured it that way because wow. General Electric was liable to run that power plant, a land-based nuclear power plant uh, properly. So they wanted to hire people who understood kind of a military ethos um, because you were actually in charge of the technical training of these Navy guys. Right, so you right, showed up with right. your haircut. You showed up with your haircut. Yeah, you know, you right. just, you kind of knew that. You had a uniform if it wasn't, <clears throat> yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. a specific naval uniform, I'm sure it was a dress code, right? Yeah, and you just kind of understood what those guys were were, were yeah. facing. And, and um, you know, you just learned a lot. I learned a lot. I was very influenced by naval officers, uh, chief, uh, and also non-commissioned officers, chief petty officers, senior chief petty officers. Learned a lot about leadership, a lot about people. Um, you know, for the people that we were training, they were very young. They were 19 years mm -hmm. old. It was the first time they really weren't on a base. They kind of came up to Saratoga and and found an apartment and had their had their brand new bonus, which they turned into a fast car, usually red. <laughs> usually a muscle car, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and so, you know, just um, one of my, I can remember this uh, master chief, tall guy, tall, tall guy, Master Chief Stepsinski. And I remember he was, he would knock on the doors of the kids that were behind and, uh, you know, they'd come out and they probably had been drinking the night before and, and, and he'd look at him and say, Smith, I see you're behind in whatever subject. I'm going to be at my desk in 15 minutes. I expect I'll see you there. Right, son. And so just this tough as nails guy, yeah, yeah. but he figured out, we had a kid that was going to, that was failing out hmm. and he had been, he had done really well before he came to us and he figured out that the kid couldn't read. Oh, wow. And, uh, that kid had such a good memory that he could memorize books and memorize oh what gosh. people wrote on a wrote on a chalkboard or whatever and when they got to us it was like here's the manual read the read the manual go trace the systems out when you're ready go get you couldn't do it go go get uh an oral exam uh yeah. for each system and yeah. you know we we had the brightest brightest young men and women and but part of the process that they went through with us was they had to learn the plant but they also had to learn how to teach themselves right because right. they were going to show up in a crew you know, not, not a training program. They're just going to merge into a crew and they've got to, here's the manuals, go, go get yourself qualified. Yeah. So we figured out the kid couldn't read. We, we wrote, mm. we, we contacted the local literacy volunteers of America people. Kid learned how to read like in record time and, and uh, rolled them back a class. The next class he graduates number one. And uh, I just, I'm like, man, it's one of my, I just like that guy to be able to see the the potential in that individual and just knew something was amiss. And invested in him. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's yeah. Fantastic. You know, it's just, yeah. So great. Do stories. you remember the first time you started managing people, David? Uh, well, I can remember. Yeah. I can remember being a scout leader. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, it goes way back. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, it was more about it, but, but in some ways it was like, you know, people were look. people wanted to do stuff. Even as scouts, it's like, we need somebody to organize the trip. Right. So mm. a lot about, a lot about leadership is stepping up yeah. can, and can you clear can you clear a path, remove obstacles so people can, you know, go down the path or the runway and be successful? So right, I think, right. I think a lot of that 
early training ha- had to do with yeah. that. Um, and when and, did that kick in in the workplace? Did they put you immediately into situations where you were managing <laughs> some of the cadets there at the at the nuclear installation? Or when yeah, did you... so so the I I was uh, so. W- Yes. The short answer is yes. The image I have is, you know, the old Revolutionary War, the way the guys fought, like the, there'd be these lines right, of people right. and guys with would come the muskets up, up. And, and they would kneel down and shoot at each other that's and then right. people would fall down and the next yeah, line would next kneel line down. Would so up, right. so uh, I, I was promoted very rapidly. Uh, mm. And I, I say not, not a little bit sarcastically, uh, but because there were people uh, ahead of me that were failing at a very high rate. Yeah. So yeah. I was at a college at 22 and at 24, I was in charge of a crew operating a nuclear power plant, had authority of, you know, within parameters, had authority to start up and shut down a nuclear power plant. Wow. That's pretty awesome. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty and young was, age. <laughs> yeah. And it was, uh, and it was, yeah. And it was, I remember it was like, Hey, we need you to do this for way too young. I need you to do this for six weeks. Um, because then we'll get some things fixed and we'll get some people in here to, you know, that are have got more ability. Right. Uh, 18 months later, <laughs> you're um, still doing the job. <laughs> 18 months later, I was promoted. I was promoted to be a manager. Wow. Uh, wow. And awesome. here's what I learned from that. I yeah. learned that, um, you're always following somebody. Yeah. Right. Unless you're an entrepreneur starting up something from nothing, you're always following somebody. And so we had a plant manager who was brilliant but he managed all the details himself. And um, he'd call you up at 2 a.m. in the morning and he would ask you detailed questions. He'd make you get up and go check some crazy thing in the plant. And then he would give you permission. And so he basically had the capacity and the energy to run the plant 24 hours a day from wherever he was. And he did for two years because everybody had a two-year assignment. They brought the next guy in who basically assumed that we had been trained knew how to make decisions um, and would make correct decisions. And so you didn't get those calls at 3 a.m. Right, right. And right. man, did we fail. We yeah. failed. And, and so uh, two, he had a, and, and we all bought his vision. We all liked him. We all wanted to be successful, mm. but we did not have the strength to do that. And it, in part, it was because of the culture he inherited and his failure to appreciate that culture. Mm. And so uh, whenever I go into a, an organization, I've been in lots of different organizations, um, I always think, so who am I following? Yeah, right. Uh, who am right. I? And, and, you know, those people didn't show up every day trying to mess up the organization. They showed up trying to be successful, but they did it in a way that created all the folks that you're leading. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, David, you eventually decided to go back and get a couple of degrees. You've got a master's in theology. Uh, you did an MBA as well. Tell me a little bit about where that kind of fit into your career path and, and what were some of the decisions around going back for those additional degrees? Yeah. So thanks for that. Uh, so there was a, a, a time when I really wanted to climb the corporate ladder. That mm. was before I came to know Christ. I was, you know, all that success when you're 24 and 25 and 26. <laughs> pre-30, you know, right? This is all pre-30. And, 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 and of course, this is the 80s, right? So I mean, think about what the inflation rates were. I mean, you, oh, would, yeah. get, you would get pay raises. You know, the percentage pay raises you would get were ridiculous. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you actually start believing that stuff about yourself. Mm. That's the danger. You actually start thinking, yeah. "Man, I'm pretty good. Maybe I, you know, I could probably be chairman of the. I could probably be CEO of General right. Electric. Yeah, right. you know, I mean, just re- and today I look back and go, 
what a ridiculous thought that you, you know, <laughs> that you have in your First head. First that you'd even want it, let yeah. alone yeah. <laughs> that you could be yeah. selected for it. Pe- right? People listen to me and say, man, this guy was really clueless. <laughs> so, yeah. so, um, and so I went and wanted an MBA uh, versus a technical degree. I, I really was learning that uh, I liked leading people um, and uh, was kind of bucking, bucking the trend. I, uh, didn't, didn't want to become the next PhD nuclear scientist. I really, uh, I, I loved seeing, uh, organizations accomplish things. It just was a a great excitement for me. Um, so that was one degree, but then when I came to Christ, when I was 30, you know, it's kind of scales fall from your eye and you realize, Hmm. man, I am just completely, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up here. Hmm. So, you know, my, my, my marriage failed. Um, as I came to Christ, my wife want, announced that she wanted a divorce and she left. Mm. Um, and I started realizing that I was living for the wrong stuff yeah. and um, came to faith, got got to a good church and started seeing all these guys who were the same age as generally the same age I was, you know, roughly kind of doing the same stuff I was doing, which was we weren't out drinking. We weren't out carousing. We weren't out trying to, you know, being unfaithful to our wives. But I got to tell you, we were 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week in the office. Right. Right. And, and, and no peace, miserable, uh, I'm like, these guys, these guys are on the same road I was on. They're going to lose their kids. They're going to lose their marriage. And so mm. got very involved in men's ministry, the whole, that was during the promise keeper kind of, um, ascendancy and just really, uh, and this is in the nineties, David. Is yeah, this, this, kind of, is, yeah. this is the early nineties. Yeah. Leading and to, so, yeah. so over, over time, um, I continued God, by his grace, I continued to have great corporate success, um, became a vice president in, in our company and mm. whatnot. And so, but I, I, I remember the morning I was in the shower thinking about our men's ministry meeting that night. And um, at that time, I, I had had the position where I got to lead the organization that, you know, kind of kept track of all the nuclear reactors uh, of all the submarines that were operating. And mm. so I'm thinking about, and Don is like, David, this is not what you're supposed to be thinking about. No. You know, that's a, there are men and women, uh, that count on, on, uh, us doing our job properly, uh, for our nation's defense. And I just, but my passion was just going hmm. towards ministry. And so I kind of followed that and went and got a, a theology yeah. degree, resigned at 47, resigned at 47 right. for my company and wow. became a pastor for 12 years. Yeah. I went and yeah. did that for 12 years and, uh, worked in the church, um, yeah, that's awesome. Well, your 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 trajectory has been really for the last about 12, 13 years, right? Uh, involved in a, in a number of different ministries. You were a rector for a while. You were obviously the dean at the Cathedral of All Saints. And, and that led up, of course, eventually to your current job. But uh, just tell us a little bit about kind of the decision making around that. I mean, that was a pretty big shift at almost 50 years old to be able to say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to shed the old man, <laughs> so to speak, of this corporate career and really focus. Uh, took a pretty good dose of faith, I think, to make that step. Tell us a little bit about your decision-making then. Yeah. So the first thing I did wrong (laughs) was I came to my wife and said, I've been praying about uh, becoming a pastor and God's really been telling me that. And she said, uh, and I said, oh, by the way, I've been talking to Derek about that. She goes, Derek, our pastor? I was like, yeah. So then she said, so how long have you been praying about this? How long have you been talking to Derek? Mm. And I was like, um, uh, about nine months, maybe a year. <laughs> so she goes, mm. really? And you didn't think you might want to bring that up to me sooner? <laughs> so <laughs> she just looks at me like, you got to be kidding me. Right, so uh, right. uh, 
the uh, backstory there was her father used to give out her phone number to seminary students. So she made sure she hired somebody who wasn't a pastor. She went and hired a, <laughs> a nuclear engineer from General Electric. So anyway, uh, right. but the process there was one of um, the phrase I use is I, I wanted to move towards it because it was such a, a big deal. So I said, let me just go take some courses. Uh, let me understand what this is. Take some like I took. I went to night school. People say, "What seminary do you, mm. did you go to?" I went to night school, um, and then online and all that kind of stuff. So right, just right. kept moving towards it and uh, got ordained and was an assistant pastor, which kind of meant I did nights and weekends. Right. Um, and it was in that process where that was me trying to manage God. I thought I'm going to keep my day job, <laughs> you know, make the nice salary, and I'll just kind of do this stuff on the side. And yeah, about yeah. four months into that, I was putting on weight. I was at home. I was like, I'm mm. working. I, I am right back to where I was mm. before I was 30. That cost me my first marriage. This cannot be what God wants. Right. And so, um, so you know, we kind of moved towards that. And then circumstances and things accelerated to where it just became really obvious that um, there was time for us to go. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. It was a, a radical change to our life. Uh, and yet at the same time, we just knew it was the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. A yeah. lot of prayer, I'm sure. A lot of yeah. consultation with others. Uh, mm -hmm. Probably a lot of reading of <laughs> the good book and helping with your guidance on that. It, it was a ramp, right? Versus a yeah. cliff. It was a yeah, ramp. Right. It, was a, it exactly. was a ramp versus yeah. a cliff because a parallel pathing there for a while. Yeah. So and, here, yeah, so yeah. so in the middle of that, right? Here's one of the decisions, right? One of the decisions is where am I going to go to seminary? And I really wanted to go to a good seminary. Mm -hmm. And my parents and my wife's parents were in their 70s and 80s, and they all lived in New York, right? And uh, there were not seminaries in New York we we're going to go to. So yeah. Um, yeah. And she said, I don't think God would ask us to leave our parents at this point in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and that was, that was just gold. Yeah. And right. so I was there like, you okay, you're absolutely right. So let, there's, I can do this. I can go online. I got to work a lot harder and read a lot more, but I can do that so that we can honor our father and mother. And mm. so there was, that. there was kind of like just taking the, what's the current, what's the next decision I've got to make versus, you know, what's the five-year plan. So that would be, that. that's kind of how we approached that's it. That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard it said that the voice of our wives can sometimes be the closest thing to the voice of God we'll ever hear, <laughs> at least while we're on this plane. <laughs> well, yeah. So, um... <laughs> not that we always listen, right? Yeah, I was going to uh... say, don't, don't, tell my, don't tell my wife that. Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's going to listen to this, David, so she will hear it. Well, tell us a little bit about the Pocket Testament, Lee. Gosh, you've been CEO there for almost four years. And, mm -hmm. and for those that are listening that don't know much about your mission, uh, give us a little taste of, of what you folks do. Yeah, great. Thanks for asking. So look, our, our why, why we exist, uh, what we think about when we wake up in the morning, what we think about when we're going to bed at night is how can more people come to meet Jesus Christ? That's right. that's what gets us energized. Yeah. Um, how we go about doing that is we invite people to uh, to read the Word of God. Mm. So, you know, Ravi Zacharias, a great apologist, just passed. I, I know probably mm. we've all listened to him and he's just amazing. That's not how we do it. What we do is we invite people to read specifically the Gospel of John. And, and mm. the, the, the way we go about that is we ask um, average, every everyday Christians to basically do three things. The first is to read God's Word every day, just to be in God's Word every day, which, you know, pastors ask us to do that. 
Um, secondly, to take a, a pocket-sized gospel of John, hmm. pick it up and say a prayer in the morning before, uh, say, Lord, who, who would you have me give this to today? Hmm. And put it in your pocket or put it in your purse. And, and, and uh, we call that carry. So read, carry. And the third step is share it. When you come across somebody and the Holy Spirit nudges you to I'll give them that gospel, and the Holy Spirit nudges you to I'll give them that gospel. Mm. Just offer them that gospel words you might have. So I, the words I use, uh, Brand, are I say, "Hey, I've got this. The, the message of this book changed my life. I just would like to share it with you. It's it's a gift." Yeah. Um, Why the and, Gospel of John? Yeah, great question. So we have uh, four reasons that we do that. First of all, John writes in his gospel, "These things are written so that you might have life." That's mm. uh, point one. So John specifically wrote his gospel, specifically structured it with seven signs so that uh, people of a different culture, uh, the Greek culture, would be able to, to meet Jesus. Uh, mm. the, the second is uh, John's gospel. We live in a soundbite world, right? Uh, we, and so if you think about John's gospel, by verse 14, you will hear, but to all who did believe, he gave power to become children of God, born not of man, or the will of man, but of God, mm. right? That's by by verse 14, you've heard that there is a God, uh, Jesus is God, that he's come right. to earth. I mean, think about what happens in those first 14 verses. And so it gets right to the point yeah. very quickly. Yeah. Very and, then it takes, and then it takes people on this ascending uh, uh, series of miracles, uh, culminating in the very resurrection of our Lord. So it's structured in a, in mm. a, in a way where you would walk people through uh, this, meet the person of Jesus. Uh, the other uh, reason we say is that it actually speaks to different cultures. So this gets a little bit philosophical, but when you say in the beginning, just those three words, in the beginning mm. was the word, right? That's how the gospel begins. In the right. beginning, you're making a huge philosophical statement. You and I accept that the Big Bang is scientific fact, but for centuries, people believed that the universe was always here. Right. So that wasn't challenged until uh, the... Uh, early 20th century when people began measuring uh, waves and could see the universe right. expanding. Right. And for the first 20 years of the Big Bang Theory, when it was running around as a theory among scientists, they resisted it. Hmm. Because if there's a beginning, you you get into the philosophical realm of causation. Right. If if something began, who began it? And if you hmm. figure out who began that, then who began that? You're, you just, you're in this endless thing that right. you have to get back to something that is eternal. Yeah, yeah. Right. And the Gospel of John says, yeah, in the beginning was the word, which is kind of this abstract concept, and then gets all the way to and the word's actually a person. And oh, by the way, that person came to earth. Mm. So it, it's a it's a huge philosophical statement. Yeah, so beautiful. those are just some of the reasons that yeah. we use it. Um That's the awesome. other and, and most people when they hand a Bible, they don't say start in Genesis. They normally say read the Gospel of John if you think right. about it. Right. Right. Awesome. One of the things that um, really inspired me to invite you on the show, David, and I think it was the first or the second time we met in one of our Zoom meetings uh, with the various C12 was, was you know, your your perspective or, or I guess the fact, not a perspective, that the increase in demand has just skyrocketed during the, the COVIDian time, so to speak. And if I recall, it was something like 5X. Tell us a little bit about that and how your ministry has grown, particularly during these times when, when people really are seeking out, you know, the answers. Yeah, th thanks for that. So if, if we go back to the simple method that we we kind of paraphrase as read, carry, share, if you think about that, that is a, that is a repeatable process that you can mm. train anybody to do, right? This is just a repeatable process that's scalable, Yeah. right? So, th th so, so we're in the business of trying to mobilize 
uh, followers of Jesus to invite people. Uh, mm -hmm. And most of those followers have a real pain point, and that is they don't know how to do it. They're embarrassed. You know, the culture says, yeah. be quiet about your faith, right. all those right. things, right? Kind Keep of it paralyzed. in the closet. <laughs> yeah, all that kind of stuff. And we're here to say, hey, look, we, we get that you love Jesus. We get that you have a burden for the lost, mm. and we understand your pain, and we have a simple, repeatable process that can get you through your pain, right? That's, that's pretty much what we do with folks. Well, the pain level goes up when you see people dying, when, when yeah. there's a global pandemic, yeah. right? The, the old thing of, uh, you know, when you're trying to change your behavior, you've got to overcome your resistance to change. Mm. To overcome your resistance to change, you need a big enough vision, compelling vision to do whatever it's going to take to get through the barriers or the obstacles. So what we've seen is this, you know, as, as, as you say, these COVIDian times, um, <laughs> we've seen people's, people who have a heart for the lost, those hearts are beating faster and louder. And yeah. so they're looking for ways to reach the lost. That's kind of the, so the environment is there for us. That's the people who want to share right. on the other side, people who I, I, I want to say most like people in North America, they weren't ho hostile to Christianity. I mean, some people are hostile to Christianity, but most people were living a fine life. Unemployment's low. They've got right. jobs. Things are right. fine. I'm in control. I don't need God. Th thanks for this, but you just keep your religion to yourself. Well, their world's completely rocked. Hmm. Absolutely. Right. So they're yeah. now the people who were, I don't want to say hostile, but people who maybe were neutral or disinterested right. now are looking for hope. They're scared. Yeah. Right. And so you've got kind of this perfect storm of folks who maybe were reluctant to share, but wanted to, they, they're now feeling more urgency to share and you've got increased receptivity. So that's kind of the environment that mm -hmm. we're in, which mm -hmm. is a great environment for us. And so what we're seeing is uh, just uh, amazing things. So we, we pivoted and did some digital stuff. We have a digital uh, PDF gospel that you can just text message to mm. your friend, right? And oh, so we say, awesome. hey, text message this to your friend. And, and my suggested text message is, hey, I know you think I'm a Jesus nut, uh, but we, could we read this <laughs> together? And I promise I won't argue with you. <laughs> kind of like, you know, that's just, because that's yeah. what, I'll just, go on mute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so yeah. we've, we're seeing... Uh, an average person who uses a digital sharing, uh, they're up to, uh, on average, sharing it 150 times. Wow. Okay. That's incredible. Be because everybody's locked in their homes yeah, or course. everybody's bored yeah. or yeah. whatever. Hey, can we just right. read this together and talk? I promise mm. not to argue. Um, we have one ministry that serves food boxes. It's a really cool yeah. ministry. They're yeah. in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, uh, called Blessings of Hope. And what they do is they take excess food from farmers um, and then uh -huh. they they ship it to people in need. Mm. And so they were doing about fifty thousand, feeding about fifty thousand families. I think I think a quarter. And in every uh, food box, we would they would put a Gospel of John because they wanted uh -huh. people to receive food and also to have an opportunity to receive receive some hope. Yeah. So yeah. then COVID hits. So the state of Pennsylvania calls them up and says, "Can you do a hundred thousand boxes?" Wow. You know, like in a month versus wow. a quarter, fifty thousand and a quarter. Yeah, so, yeah. so they so they call us up and we're like. Let's get after this, man. Yeah. Come on, this is cool. That was a challenge. So, 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 so when they did their second 100,000, oh um, I said to them, I was like, um, can we just talk numbers? Because God wants us to be good business people. <laughs> How many are you going to do? Because if I start shaving a couple cents per gospel in print costs, because we just show them what the print costs are and right, we right. just want to cover the print costs. That's, that's how we operate. 
And so, yeah, we just ordered a million. Oh my gosh. So think about that, wow. 50,000 to a million. And, and, and David, here was, that's what a blessing. Man. And, and here, wow. was the, here was the decision. It's like, Ugh. should we order a million or 2 million? Because we're going <laughs> yeah, right. right. to do, do two. <sighs> and I said, look, the price point between a million and two point, we're not getting, we're, we just let's conserve cash. Let's, we'll do yeah, a million at a yeah, time yeah. because it gives us, a, it, because we're just not going to get that, that great, the savings. We've already harvested all the savings. And the reason they're doing a million is because the federal government went to them. The oh USDA, the USDA is watching farmers dump food. Right, they're like, this right. is nuts, this right? Is crazy. This is nuts. Yeah. We're dumping food and we got people who need food. Who can broker this together? So there's a Christian ministry broker mm. that's basically provided this conduit. They basically, they have to come up with shipping costs and, and whatnot. And so we get to be there with them. And you're but right along with that. Yeah. Oh my so gosh, so two examples, so right? Awesome. Individual members who are doing digital sharing 100 to 150 yeah, times. Yeah. And then we have organizations and we're seeing wow. um, lots of organizations that are realizing at this time. Even like C12 companies, um, one of my great C12 uh, stories is I got a guy who who does stuff and he um, what he provides, we, we would generally call a capital expense, right? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. New project, new structure, new stuff. Well, capital expenses is the first thing that, one of the first things most people put on hold, Gets cut. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right, right. because we're not sure if our business is growing, what's going to happen. Let's wait a few months, right? So lots of his business is on hold. Yeah. So he wrote to his top 70 customers, mm. personal letter, put a, a touch just about, about how his faith was more important to him. Nothing crazy, nothing like, you know, you're a sinner going to go to hell or anything like that. Just like, <laughs> you know, just like my faith's really important to me. It's really based on the person right. of Jesus. And I just want to include this gospel uh, just to, it, and share it with you. Yeah. That's yeah. what he did, right? Fantastic. And so, Fantastic. Wow. Um, and getting great feedback from people. People were really moved. Like you'd actually write me a letter, not about, please give me your business, but like, Things are really hard right now. Yeah. I want to make sure you know I'm caring about you. And yeah. let me just share this with you. Very yeah. relational, awesome. you know. Awesome. So it's cool stuff, yeah. Well, David, we're just about out of time. And uh, this has just been a tremendous journey. Um, we always ask one question at the end. And I'm going to put a little twist on it today because your journey is just so amazing given that you spent pretty much half your career in the corporate sector. And, and of course, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of came to Jesus midlife, you know, what career and life advice would you give to someone who like you perhaps has, you know, been exposed to the church early on, but has had these doubts about whether or not, you know, they should be doing something that's maybe more core to their faith or, you know, maybe living faith more out in the, uh, in the marketplace. What, what would you tell them? How would they, how would you go about advising someone who's maybe, you know, listening today and kind of going through that? Wow. I, I, I really want to demonstrate my faith a lot more in the workplace. Yeah. So I, I, I think the answer I'd give to that question is is uh, don't confuse your job with your identity. Mm. So, you know, you talked about the fact that I was an Eagle Scout. And yeah, that's something I accomplished, but I actually thought of myself as an Eagle Scout, right? right? That became right. my identity. I went to a federal military academy, which really does a very good job of indoctrinating you mm. into who you are. I worked for the General Electric Corporation. Yeah. When we had a family quilt patch made, the GE symbol was on it. Okay. Like wow. I had to have a tattoo removed from, I won't tell you where. So, but, uh, <laughs> but seriously, I, it wasn't until that moment when I was 30, it said, David, all those things are great, but that's not who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think as you aspire to certain things, um, just know, just know your identity is, you know, found in the person of God, that you're a child of God. And I think if you can do that, then you're going to keep yourself anchored and mm. whatever he puts before you in whatever, whatever aspect I think is critical. And I'll, I'll tell you, even I had to learn that lesson again when I became a pastor, 
Mm. I'd gone through that at age 30 and learned that lesson. And I fell into that hole again mm. when I was a pastor. Oh, pastor. Oh, pastor. Oh, pastor. Right, right? right. You start thinking your first name's pastor. It gets to your head. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's my, that's my two cents there. Well, David, thank you so much. Chief Executive Officer of the Pocket Testament Lead, David Calm. We really appreciate you sharing your journey into the corner office. Thanks, Brent. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 